0: This is a podcast from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship, a gathering of many nations who are one in Christ. This sermon is from our series on the fruit of the Spirit.
1: Please remain standing for the scripture reading, which is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4. Verses 17 to 32. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God, in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. God forgive you. This is the word of the Lord.
0: God of signs and wonders, we come to your word again and again, seeking understanding and the new life that you offer us in Christ. And so we ask, Lord, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would illumine our hearts and minds so that we may believe this testimony and have the gift of eternal life. In the name of Jesus Christ, Our teacher and our savior, we pray. Amen. To be a Christian is to embark on a journey of personal transformation. Because the gospel is not just about forgiveness. It's not just about freedom from the punishment of sin. But God is actually at work changing who we are. And all of us who belong to Jesus this afternoon are being changed by the spirits of God. And we are gradually becoming new people. Because though God welcomes us the way we are, and the only way into the kingdom is to acknowledge and to recognize that we are weak and we are sinful and we all have a lot of problems and a lot of issues, God is not waiting for us to be perfect before he opens his arms and embraces us as his children. God welcomes us as we are, but he doesn't leave us the way we are. And all of us who have put our faith in Jesus and begun to follow him are experiencing a renovation of the heart. And here in the season of Lent, it's a time for us, yes, to take stock and to examine our hearts, and to confess honestly and truthfully before God, where we've fallen short, where we may even have given up in despair. And it's a time to recommit ourselves to following Jesus. It's also a time for new hope as we look forward to Easter. We're in the middle of this series on the fruit of the Spirit, the very middle. There's nine fruits of the Spirit We're in number five, love, joy, peace, patience. And here we are, kindness, number five. And we'll go on to goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And my challenge going through these fruits, to be honest, is that they're all so interconnected together. We're talking about kindness today, but it's hard to think about kindness without reflecting on love and goodness and gentleness because all these qualities, all these fruits of the Spirit, they kind of bleed into each other. It's like the seamless garments of Christ. These are not nine abstract virtues kind of floating out in the air somewhere that we can pick and choose from like a buffet or like pizza toppings. They all come together. It's a package deal because what we're talking about with these nine fruits of the Spirit is a ninefold description of a single person, Jesus, who is the second and final Adam, He is God's model for a new humanity. And all of us are being changed by the Holy Spirit into the image of Jesus. And maybe it's good in the middle of this series on the fruit of the Spirit to just take a pause for a moment and reflect on this gift that we have of new life in Jesus. Because even though, yes, we need to repent of our sin, and our failure, and our unkindness, and all the opposite of these different fruit of the Spirit, we do need to fight off the temptation to discouragement. And maybe discouragement is the thing that derails Christians more than any other temptation. As we begin following Jesus full of gusto and faith and confidence that God is changing us, and then we realize that we still have indwelling sin. There are still problems and issues that we need to struggle against. And over time, we just stop praying about those things and stop asking God to change us, and we just kind of give up and decide, well, God's just going to have to take me the way that I am. And it's so important that together we stop and we take heart at how much the salvation of God has already changed us. And we're climbing, we're toiling this mountain together, and we can get discouraged looking up and seeing how much further we have to go. And it's important that we look back and realize how far we have already climbed. How far, to be more accurate, God has already taken us. And yes, Paul in this letter has a lot of practical instruction to give to the Ephesian church. He's under no illusions on all the problems of community and uh, gossip and petty bickering and stealing and lying. Paul is under no illusions on the fight involved in building real community. But Paul wants to remind these Christians and he wants to remind us that God has already changed us and God has changed us decisively. These Ephesians used to be just like their pagan neighbors. They were blind. They were groping in the darkness. They were cut off from the life of God. They were totally in the grip of impurity and greed and every other kind of sin. And Paul insists, guys, you must no longer live like this. You can no longer live like this. That way of life is an impossibility for those who have really encountered Jesus. That is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ, verse 21, and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. In some translations more literally translate that, that is not the way you learned Christ. You learned Christ. That's kind of an odd way of putting it, isn't it? Because what the Ephesians had learned was not a set of ideas, not a collection of facts, not even a system of doctrine, but a person. They learned Christ. And learning Christ means we're all in this apprenticeship to Jesus. We're learning to mimic him clumsily at first, like little babies, as we watch him and try to mimic what it means to be like Jesus. And then over time, we begin to acquire fluency in being like Jesus. We're talking about Christian formation. And that means being shaped, and being molded into the image of God's Son. The Christian life is about abiding in Jesus and him abiding in us. We inhabit him. He inhabits our lives. And we discover that Jesus' own spirit is at work in us. In a mysterious way, he's reconstructing us from within. He's holding our hand As we painfully trace out the ABCs of Jesus, he's actually etching the likeness of Christ into our hearts and into our lives. And when we began this journey, when we were baptized into Jesus, we put off the old self and we put on the new self. In the early church, in fact, when they baptized new believers, they baptized them naked, They would disrobe, they'd go into the water without any clothes, and then they would put on clean, white, baptismal robes. I'm not saying we're going to be doing that, but it is a symbol, isn't it, of the most radical change possible. Because coming to Jesus means being born again, being born from above. This isn't a matter of trying to stop some old habits and trying to make some new choices, because Sin is so corrupting and so invasive and has soaked into the deepest part of our being that the only cure is a heart transplant, radical change at our very core. The old self is so corrupted and so damaged and so twisted and so bent by sin, the only solution is that your very self needs to be tossed in the garbage and you need to be given a new self from God. We're talking about a decisive, radical, once-for-all change. The gospel, the message of Christianity, is all about dying and rising with Jesus. And when you were baptized, the old self died with him. It was destroyed. It was crucified. It was put away. And by the sheer gift of God's grace, you were given a new self, a self shaped and formed in the image of Jesus. A new self, Paul says, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Created. Not by me, but by God. The new self is not something that I construct that I have to figure out, that I have to make happen. The new self is a gift from God. And when you become a Christian, God gives you a new self that he has already created. And incredibly, this new me, this new you, this new self, is created by God, designed by him to be a reflection of his true righteousness and holiness. That is my destiny, and that is your destiny, guaranteed and sealed and promised by God, already created by God. In the second half of the passage that Kenneth read for us from Ephesians 4, Paul fleshes out what does this new life in Christ actually look like? And I'm struck at how social this life is. Isn't it amazing that Paul is talking about this gift of a new self and then immediately the first thing he goes to is don't lie to each other, don't speak falsehood, speak the truth because you're all members of one another. Do you know what? The new self, must express itself in community. And this is why kindness is so vital. There can be no deep, rich relationships unless they are constantly fed and watered and nourished by kindness. I think we can define kindness as this. Kindness is sensing and meeting Other people's needs as if they were my needs. As our master taught us, do to others as you would have them do for you. Learning to be kind means getting out of my self-obsession and my self-absorption and becoming absorbed with other people moving from my cravings and my demands and even my needs to the needs of those around me. And I think that's quite striking in this passage how at the very beginning, Paul describes the old life of the Ephesians, the life of the pagans, as essentially a life of unkindness, the very opposite of being sensitive and meeting the needs of others. Having lost all sensitivity, these pagans have just given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. In other words, using and abusing people and things. Instead of seeing other people as precious sons and daughters of God, as his image bearers, whom it is my privilege to love and recognize and honor and take care of, I can only see people as something that can be used for my own advantage. Used and consumed and then discarded. But the new self given to us by God is other oriented and other directed. And we all come into the Christian life and we all come into the church with a basic selfish orientation don't we? When we live that way We're not just failing in our duty to love the family of God. We're actually cutting ourselves off from the blessing of living in relationship with others. When I was in Dubai, I had uh, coffee with a woman named Sherry. Sherry is um, an Egyptian woman from a Muslim background. And she came to Christ not knowing any other Christians. And for the first seven years of following Jesus... She was on her own. She was watching videos of sermons on YouTube and worship videos. And then finally, after seven years, she was able to connect herself with a body of believers. And she told me yesterday with eye shining, what a difference it made to her to actually be part of a family and to know other people who loved her and cared for her. Because it was not enough for her just to have a personal relationship with God. She was missing out on so much by not having a family of believers Around her, And how foolish of us to deliberately cut ourselves off from that blessing that God wants to give us. This whole second section of the passage from verses 25 to 32 is all about kindness. I know kindness, being kind and compassionate to one another, is not mentioned until the last verse, but I think it really sums up everything that comes before. For example... Kindness means we speak the truth to one another. Verse 25, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. One of the primary expressions of kindness is living and speaking truth. We wouldn't automatically think of that as an expression of kindness. But I think when we learn to stop pretending that we are someone else than we actually are, when we take off the masks we disguise ourselves with, we are giving each other the gift of our real self, even if that means confessing our sin to one another. And until we are willing to do that, we can never have community and we can never experience genuine kindness in relationships. You know, nothing breaks our common life more than deceit. And Paul's question is, why on earth would we lie to one another? We're all members of one body. This is Paul's argument for us speaking Radical, open, honest truth to each other. We're all members of one body. And the body can only survive by the mutual service and the mutual honesty of its members because we all depend on one another. Right now, I have, I'm experiencing some pain in my foot in the little groove between my big toe and the one beside it. Because in Dubai, it was 35 degrees, and it was hot, and I wore flip-flops, which I haven't worn for a long time, and the little, the little rubber thing was, was rubbing against that sensitive part of my toe that has not received friction in a long time, and it, it walking around a whole day, just rubbed that skin raw. And this sore in my toe is sending these signals to my brain, expressing its pain and expressing its need, this needs to be taken care of. And there's a whole complex interaction of many parts of my body dealing with this pain. My brain and my eyes and my fingers, as I took my sock off and, and opened a Band-Aid and applied it to that sore, even like these little hairs in my inner ear so I could manage my balance, all these amazing interconnected things are happening in my body as I tend to one little part of it. The whole body works together because the whole body can only survive as a whole body. I don't really think of it as my inner ear being kind to my toe. But that's actually what's happening, right? In my body, there's a sensitivity and different parts are working together to meet a need so that the whole body can thrive and be healthy, and of course that is what God is calling us to as a body. As a part of the body, you have a vital part to play in recognizing needs in other part of the body and using whatever gifting you have to take care of that part. Kindness involves guarding ourselves against the destructive force of anger. In your anger, do not sin, Do not let the sun go down on your anger. When we surrender ourselves to feelings of anger, when we encounter sin, when someone sins against us and genuinely hurts us, that anger, if we don't guard and manage it carefully, can give a foothold for the devil. Your anger could be the thing that unlocks and opens the door and gives the evil one room to enter into your life and to the life of the community and rip the whole thing apart. And our sins against one another and our response to those sins can unleash things that allow Satan to incite us to hate and to hurt and to destroy one another. Here's another expression of kindness, according to Paul, a surprising one. That anyone who's been stealing should no longer steal. They need to work with their own hands to have something to share with those in need. Paul's talking about replacing selfishness, self-orientation with others' orientation. Kindness is sensing and meeting other people's needs as if they were our own. And we're all called to repent of being focused on what benefits me how I can leverage and use other people for myself. And we need to ask ourselves, how can I work? How can I spend myself? How can I use my gifts to help other people? Every single person here has needs. Every single person here has ways to meet the needs of others. We don't all have the same needs. We don't all have the same gifts. And that is by God's design everyone here needs everyone else. There's a danger of only wanting to be in the helper role and refusing to be in the place of the person who needs help. Because in the helper role, I can feel like I am in a position of power and superiority. And the other person is in the very agreeable place of inferiority and need. And perhaps you've been withholding from your brothers and sisters the opportunities that they have to help you. And then, of course, we all have the ability to help others. Not all in the same way. Some of us have more money than others. Some of us can offer people jobs. Some of us can offer people a place to sleep. Some of us can only offer a little bit of food. Kindness, though, is always practical, It's more than just a kindly heart and having warm sentiments to other people and saying, oh, be warm and be well-fed. Following Jesus calls us to action. Kindness requires sensitivity. That means learning to be attentive and learning to listen to others. Adopting the sensitivity of the Spirit of God himself. Another way to be kind according to verse 29, is the way we speak. And Paul warns us against unwholesome talk, acidic words that corrode people's hearts and people's relationships. I wonder how many of our words are unkind, not necessarily because we're being deliberately cruel and and hurtful, but because often the way we speak when we just hang out with our friends is not oriented towards what can I say that is going to help them, that will build them up, that will encourage them, that will bless them. I'm just sort of saying whatever's on my heart as a way to express my need to say something, to blow off steam, to express myself. Paul says, no, when we speak, when I speak, I need to be deliberate and ask myself, what can I say that can build up others' According to their needs, Paul said, how can I benefit those who listen? All of us here, I believe, have the gift of speech. We may not have a lot of other resources, but you have the most powerful gift of all, which is the gift of your words. And those can be words that destroy people, that discourage people, that tear people down. But you also have the awesome power of your tongue, surrendered to the Spirit of God, that can powerfully build people up, that can point people to Jesus, that can preach the gospel, that can encourage people and call attention to the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, that can comfort those who are suffering. And then kindness involves dealing with a lot of negative things in our hearts and in our community. Paul warns us to be aware, to be, to beware of Bitterness and all of its fruits, anger and rage and malice. Paul is quite aware that in any place where real community happens, where people are actually engaging with each other and actually having relationships, there will be conflict. Because we're not in the heavenly city yet. The process of transformation has begun, but there is a lot of remaining sin that we need to deal with. And when we're in close contact with each other, ugly things come out. We hurt each other. We offend each other. We say cruel, thoughtless things to each other. And there is a great danger that we will harbor seeds of bitterness within our hearts and nurture resentment against our brothers and sisters. And that seed of bitterness is going to produce fruit that is the very opposite of the good fruit of the spirit, poisonous fruit that is going to destroy other people and destroy our own souls. And so for Paul, the ultimate expression of kindness is learning to forgive one another. Be kind and compassionate, forgiving one another. Because it's only through the continual expression of forgiveness in the church that the poison of bitterness can be released. We need both honest confession of sin and we need wholehearted forgiveness of one another. All of us need forgiveness from each other. All of us are called to forgive each other. For this church to be a true congregation of Jesus, there needs to be a lot of forgiveness going on. And if we really believe the gospel, if the good news of Jesus has really seeped deep into our hearts, The Spirit of God will teach us to forgive each other fully and freely and from the heart. And if we refuse to forgive, if this is a church that harshly judges those who fail, this whole thing is going to fall apart. We all sin against each other frequently, sometimes grievously. And there's the danger of this perfect, ideal Christian community where all we experience are the fruit of the Spirit and it's wonderful and we always love each other and we always embrace each other and our hearts are completely open to each other. We are not in the promised land yet. There is a lot of crap. There is a lot of garbage. There is a lot of ugly stuff in our hearts that we need to deal with. And there's no place like living in relationship in the body of Christ that will test our need for the gospel, right? Whether we really believe in the forgiveness of God. Because Paul says, we are called to forgive each other as God in Christ forgave us. And if we refuse to forgive, if we refuse to give the ultimate gift of kindness, releasing each other from the debts that we have towards each other, we will find ourselves shut off from God's own forgiveness because we have chosen to cut ourselves off from that. Forgive one another as God and Christ forgave you. Because the kindness of God is the ultimate model and the only source for kindness towards each other. And the scripture is the story of the loving kindness of our covenant God. You know, we serve and worship a God who is constantly aware of our needs. God is incredibly sensitive to his creatures and to his children. He knows that we are dust. He knows that we're frail. He knows that we're weak. He knows that we fail and we fall short. And every time we gather, we are coming to a God of kindness, a God who is far more aware of your needs than you are yourself, and a God who out of his kind heart is constantly planning ways, planning and executing ways to bless you, to benefit you, to care for you. And isn't this what we see in the life of Jesus, the perfect image of God when he comes? The kindness of Jesus. In the very beginning of Mark's gospel, it describes Jesus staying up into the early hours of the morning, healing everyone who came to him. Jesus is surrounded by disciples, who are angry at interruptions, who have their agenda, they're very focused. And in his three years of ministry, Jesus constantly allows himself to be interrupted by the needs of others. Even his own mission from God is not more important than caring for the humble needs of those who are crying out to him, because that is the mission of God for Jesus. And there's no one too poor, no one too humble, no one too annoying, that Jesus will not stop when they cry out for him and heal their blindness and forgive their sins and raise their sons from the dead. You know, Titus describes the gospel as this, when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared. Jesus is the supreme manifestation of the kindness of God, and the cross is the highest demonstration of what God's kindness means how God recognizes how profoundly broken and profoundly sinful, how profoundly lost we are. And in God's kindness, he reaches out in our desperation to meet that need. Not with mere words or empty sentiments, but in costly action. And Jesus dies for our sins. On the cross. We might ask ourselves if we've received such kindness from God, how can we possibly return God's kindness? You know, in the Bible, kindness is spoken of quite a bit, but no one is ever described as being kind to God. Be kind to God. We would never say that, of course, right? Because God, being God, has no needs of his own. There's no need for us to be sensitive to what God might want or desire or need because God is a God of abundance who is always overflowing and has no needs or requirements himself. But God does say, if you want to repay me for my kindness, if you want to reflect and honor me for what I've done for you, show my kindness to my creatures and especially to my children. None of us are self-contained. We're all dependent on the kindness of God. And God's calling for all of us is to receive his kindness and then have the joy of partnering with God in his own kindness to the world and to each other. What we need to pray for is that the Holy Spirit would change our hearts and our minds. That this spirit with whom we've been sealed for the day of redemption who is God's guarantee of our destiny, that we would not grieve him by hardening ourselves to the needs of those around us, but that God would make us very sensitive, very aware, very compassionate, and eager to help one another. So, Shall we bow our heads and pray for the Lord to help us do that? Spirit of Jesus, we ask that you would come and fill our hearts again. So that we might know, first of all, how much kindness we have experienced from our loving Heavenly Father. Lord, every breath we draw is a gift from you. You feed us, you clothe us, you care for us. Most of all, Lord, you forgive us and you deal with our deepest need through the gift of your Son. We pray, O Lord, that you would continue this work of transformation that you've begun so that we can truly love one another from the heart and express this fruit of kindness to each other. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would bind us closely together as the family of God. Help us to be sensitive to the needs of one another. Help us to ask for and receive help. Help us to be aware of the need for and to give help to one another. O oh Lord, may this church be a place where you are glorified, where your kindness is is expressed and experienced. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This podcast was from Tbilisi International Christian Fellowship. Learn more about us online at ticf-georgia.org. Thanks for
1: listening.